Thank you, Bradley. It's unfortunate that I have to follow that, (laughs) but thank you. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 11 through 17 this morning. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Let's hear God's word together. It says, Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. A considerable crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bear, and the bear stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy and inerrant word, we pray that you would bless this time. Uh, Lord, please be uh, pleased to to meet with us. Uh, I am a weak vessel, uh, sinful, uh, and Lord, these folks do not need to hear from me. Uh, Lord, we pray that that you would, would speak to our hearts by the power of your spirit. Only then... Uh, can we be transformed? Only then can we truly worship. And so give us today exactly what our hearts need. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure, and I know you were thinking that we, that we were going to get out of this without having to hear any of this, but I'm sure all of you know by now, or at least you can tell from my socks, that there was a great victory won in the state of Mississippi this week. My Mississippi State Bulldogs, they finally won a national championship. Finally, 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 finally. Now, for some of you, that's not so great news. And for some of you, you really don't care. And maybe all of you are thinking this is inappropriate for right now and for this time. But if you'll just bear with me for a minute, I hope that we're going to see that there really is a point to this. And my prayer is that this is going to help get us on track. You know, the truth is, is no matter which team in Mississippi is your team, whether it's State or Ole Miss or Southern, it has seemed at least that during my lifetime uh, that a meaningful victory would never come. Sure, there's been, you know, those nice wins along the way, just enough to to get our hopes up, just enough to kind of make us think this is the time. Uh, but then, when it really comes down to it, it seems like we always find a way to lose, right? Or we always find a way to, to give the game away. So much so that even in the ninth inning the other night, it was nine to nothing, and Sam said, Dad, can't we have hope now? And I said, no, we can't have hope. No hope. And Wes said, you're a preacher. You've got to have hope. I said, there's no hope. None. I'd been let down too many times. I had seen it happen before. And so until that third out came, there was no victory. It seemed that victory would never come. Now, to bring all of this back to a more appropriate, more meaningful place, the truth is those emotions, 
those disappointments, those letdowns, the times of almost devastation, and of course, that, that longing for victory. Those are not confined just to the world of collegiate athletics, are they? Now, the, the truth is, is that too often we feel those things in a more real way, in a more powerful way, as we seek to, to navigate this lost and sinful world. I don't have to try to explain to you today the trials of life. I don't have to try to explain to you the hardships of life. You all have experienced them to some degree or another. And because you have, we all have a longing, a longing for, for something more, a longing for, for something beautiful and whole, something right. We all have a longing for victory. Now, the question is, is, is will that victory ever come? And if it comes, how will it come? How will we receive the victory that our hearts long for? Well, that's what I want us to consider here in our passage today. You know, we come here to the story of a lady who has lost everything. And in these few verses, in this short little story, we see compassion on full display, and we see real power, real meaningful power, power that can give us victory. And so today, I want us to consider death, but I also want us to consider victory. Now, I want us to look at this under three one-word headings. We're going to see misery first. Secondly, we're going to see compassion. And then third, we're going to see victory. Misery, compassion, and victory. Well, let's look at it together first. I want you to see the, the misery that's here on display. You know, much like last week, this story begins with despair. Uh, you remember last week we saw the, the centurion who had the slave who was sick, and he, he loved that slave, and it seemed that he had no hope. He seemed that he had nowhere to go, and he eventually he runs to Jesus, which was the right thing to do. Uh, but here, the, the scene is even more poignant. Here, we're not just faced with the, the possibility of death. Here we are faced with the reality of death itself. J.C. Ryle, he points out that, that every element of verse 12, it points us to the misery of the human condition. And I want you to, to think about that as we move through this. First, you see misery in loss. You see misery in death. It says that this man was the only son of his mother. There's very few things, maybe nothing in life, as devastating as the loss of a child. Uh, it's not something that, that I can begin to or have the right to try to describe or articulate. But I want to read to you this morning just to, to get our minds thinking in that direction. What um, R.L. Dabney, he, he wrote this after he lost uh, one of his sons. He, he says this. He says, this is the first death we have had in our family. In my first experience of any great sorrow, I have learned rapidly in the school of anguish this week and am many years older than I was a few days ago. It was not so much that I cannot give up my darling, but that I saw him suffer such great pangs and then fall under the grasp of the cruel destroyer while I was impotent for his help. When the mighty wings of the angel of death nestle over your heart's treasure and his black shadow broods over your home, shakes the heart with a shuddering terror and a horror of great darkness. 
to see my little dear one ravished, crushed and destroyed, turning his beautiful eyes to me, his weeping mother for help, after his gentle voice could no longer be heard, and to feel myself helpless to give any aid, this tears my heart with anguish. Those are heavy words, but they are certainly feelings, certainly realities that many of you know too well. Many of you have experienced. It's certainly the reality that this mother must have been going through here. Her only son, he's gone. She feels that, that great anguish. Notice the, the anguish that she feels is deeper than even that, I think. Luke also records for that not only has she lost her son, but this is not the first devastating loss that this woman has experienced. Now, it says that she is also the, a widow. And so at some point in her past, she has buried a husband. This is not the first sad procession that she has been a part of. Uh, you know, it makes us think of Naomi in the book of Ruth, right? Uh, if you want to turn there, you can. You can stick your finger there because I'm going to come back to it. But you remember, they, they leave Bethlehem because there's the famine in the land, and they go to Moab, and, and while she's there, she loses her husband. She loses both of her sons. Eventually, she makes her way back to Bethlehem with Ruth. She gets there, and the people say, is this, is this Naomi? You remember her words? She says, don't, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. She felt the, the anguish, the, the great misery, the loss of all that was dear, all that was near to her. And so we see loss. We see the misery in death. Secondly, that, that misery also extends the, the, to the condition that all of this has left her in. You know, she's now a widow without a son, and so she has no one to, to provide for her. She has no one to, to care for her. She has no one to protect her, and she has no real means of doing that for herself. Again, you think back to Ruth. You think back to Naomi, and as she makes her way back to Bethlehem with her two daughter-in-laws in tow, you remember she says, hey, look, go back. Go, go back to your families. Go back to your gods. I, I, even if I could get married today, I would not have a husband for you that you would want to marry. Go back. There is no hope with me. She knew her situation was hopeless, and she knew it extended also to, to Ruth and Orpah. And you know Orpah turns around, but Ruth goes ahead with her. And so it's a hopelessness that, that's not just emotional and spiritual. It is that. But it's also a misery that extends to the, to the physical, to the provisional means of life. But then last there, you see that, that it is also a communal misery. It's a misery that extends to, to those around her. It says that a considerable crowd from the town was with her as she moved down the street. Uh, now, to be sure, as many commentators point out, some of these were probably professional mourners. Some of these were folks who would just come to these things to wail and scream, and they would bring instruments to play, which was appropriate. Uh, but surely some of these were friends and family. Surely some of them had come out to, to bear part of this anguish with this woman. You know, though their experience may have been less personal... They were there to share in the tragedy. I remember when we were in Mexico on our mission trip, 
they have a tradition that's like this. They, they go, I can't remember if the casket was there uh, or if it was just in the car. I can't remember for sure. Uh, but the streets were, were narrow, and there, one day there was just everybody in the town, it seemed like, had come out, and they were following, or just going down the street, mourning, singing. Uh, they were doing exactly what they're doing here, and there was something special about that. There was a communalness about it. There was a shared loss in it. They were able to share it together. And so it's what we have here and what we have before us clearly it's a sad scene. It is the, the misery of the human condition on full display. I want to pause just for a minute because I've got to be honest with you. I, I was very, very, very reluctant to, to delve into this passage, especially this part of it, in any meaningful way. Uh, these are, are raw, hard, difficult truths that we face. And as I've already said, some of you know those truths too well. Uh, these are, are things that you want to run and hide from. You, you don't want to have to think about. And so I knew uh, speaking about these things was going to open wounds. It was going to bring up feelings and memories we'd much rather be rid of. And so my intention here is not to, to hurt, even though I know it does. My intention, friends, is, is for what comes next. I delve into it to whatever degree that we have. Because if you're here today and you know this pain, I need you to see that there is hope. I need you to see that the pain that you feel now, you are not alone in it. You don't bear it by yourself. Yes, you have this church with you, but even greater than that, is the reality that we see in our next point. We've seen the misery of the human condition. But secondly, I want you to see compassion. Compassion. You see it there in verse 13. As Christ approaches this city, he comes upon this, this sad scene, and seeing this widow, seeing this, this mother who, who is in pain, says that he had compassion on her. He approaches her and he says, do not weep. We're going to come back to those words in just a minute and see what they mean. For now, I just want you to consider the Savior's heart. I want you to consider the heart of this Redeemer who has come to earth to, to do a very specific job. You remember in Psalm 147.3, Remember, the psalmist records there for us these words. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. In Psalm 56, if you were at Miss Edra's funeral this week, she, she wrote this incredible poem, and I really meant to bring it. Uh, maybe sometime I can read it to you, but it was just a wonderful, wonderful testimony of her faith, a challenge to her family. But in it, she talked about the fact that she was a crier and that she cried at almost everything and Bill, in light of that, he shared this verse in Psalm 56 and verse 8. It says, you have count, you've kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. And of course, we think of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What I want you to see is that here we see that reality is true. 
we see that our Savior, our God, he does love the brokenhearted. He does collect our tears in a bottle. He does come to us and he brings real lasting comfort. It reminds us of that scene in John chapter 11, right? Remember, Jesus comes to to the tomb of Lazarus. And Mary, bless her heart, she's overwhelmed with anguish. She runs out to Jesus and she says, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. Remember, the shortest verse in the Bible, in that moment, what does Jesus do? Knowing full well what he's about to do, he weeps. He weeps. I heard a pastor one time say that, that he wept because he was uh, weeping for what he was about to do, bringing Lazarus back from heaven, and he didn't want to do that. That's, that's baloney. He wept because he felt their pain. He wept just because of what that, that little girl said in the Van Dalen's newsletter. He understood what they were going through. and He wept with them. What words of comfort those are to us today. That we may feel like Elijah in the cave. You remember after he comes out of Mount Carmel, that great victory? He says, I'm the only one. I'm absolutely alone. That we may feel that way. That we may feel like Job as if nobody understands us. You know, Job has his friends and they're terrible counselors. They don't understand what he's going through at all. Friends, we feel that way. We know that reality. The truth is, is he who made the heavens and the earth, he who upholds all things with his power, he sees your pain. He sees your grief. He sees even your tears. And he understands. And even more than that, he has compassion for you. You know, I said a few weeks ago that our God, he loves us too much to simply be aloof to our suffering. He loves us too much too much just to dismiss all the things that we go through. Again, back to that John chapter 11 at Lazarus's tomb. He could have just come in and healed Lazarus. He could have raised him from the dead and said, look, I got this. Throughout his life, throughout his, he, he, didn't, ha- he didn't have to stop and consider the pain of those he came into contact with. He knew the end. He knew that he was bringing redemption. And yet all along the way, he stops and he commiserates with people. He weeps with people. He laughs with them. He dines with them. He gets right down in the filth of all of their lives, all of their pain. He shows us true compassion. Whatever pain, whatever misery you have or are experiencing here today, Please know that Christ is not indifferent to that. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the same Savior that comforted this mother, he comforts you. He has compassion for you. It is the weary, the heavy laden that he invites in. But even more than that, don't we see here that it is the weary and the heavy laden that he seeks out. It's not this mother that says, Jesus, please come help me. It's not her cry to him that that brings him along. No, he sees her in all of her misery, and he goes to her. He shows her compassion. 
Friends, what a, what a wonderful Savior we have. A Savior who is compassionate to us, even in our misery. Philip Ryken, he says this, The God of the universe, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, his deep, has deep compassion for people in pain. He remembers our losses. He knows our sufferings. He hears our cries of anguish. And when he does, his heart goes out to us. As the scripture says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. This promise is for anyone grieving the death of a loved one or mourning the loss of a friendship or lamenting the days that are lost and gone forever. Jesus cares for every suffering soul. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And then he makes good on his promise by coming to us in all his comfort. So we go to him with our troubles, knowing that in his loving heart, there is enough room for all our sorrows. I'll say that last sentence to you again because it's good. It's really good. So we go to him with our troubles, knowing that in his loving heart, there is enough room for all of our sorrows. Friends, if you are brokenhearted today, see this great high priest who sympathizes with your weakness who has compassion for you, even when you are in misery, even when you are at your worst. He is the compassionate Savior. And so we see misery, we see compassion, but thirdly, I want you to see victory. Now, outside of the compassion he shows, Christ's words, do not weep, uh, they are, are the most striking thing to me in this passage you know, it seems that, that in some level, you know, they are surprising words. Obviously, there's a dead man here, and he says, do not weep. Uh, but it seems to me that on some level, that they are almost insensitive, right? If all he said was, do not weep, there's almost a, a dismissal to, to all that this woman's going through. We've seen her situation, and let's be honest, tears are appropriate. They are appropriate for what she is going through, the pain that she is experiencing, you know, if all he had to offer was compassion, as great as that is, friends, don't, don't hear me wrong, if that was all he came to bring, then, then it would not be enough, right? Not be enough to give us hope. It would not be enough to give us hope for, for the next minute, the next day. It might help us for a moment. But that's not all Jesus came to bring, is it? You know, one of the great lies that is out in the world today in these progressive Christian churches, I don't really know what that means, but in progressive Christian churches, is that all Jesus is is a good example for us. That, that all he is, is is a good teacher. Now, he is both of those things, but they, they dismiss his atonement. They dismiss the, what he bore on the cross. They dismiss all of the wrath of God. And so Jesus is just a man that, that died on a cross for whatever reason, and he said a whole lot of good things. Friends, if you are here today and you've experienced loss, if you've experienced anything like what this woman is going through, then you know that what you need is more than just a good example. And what you need is more than just some good teaching. No, we need hope. We need hope beyond the present. We need hope that, that leads to real, lasting victory. Notice here in this passage that Christ, he gives us a glimpse of that. He came to bring victory over sin and over death. And we get a portion of that here in our story. Look there at verse 14. He says, it says, then he came up and he touched the, the bear. Now, 
immediately that should strike us. You know, the idea of an open casket, the idea of even being able to, to touch our loved ones who are deceased, that's, that's pretty uh, normal for us. But, but in a culture where spiritual and physical cleanliness was the most important thing in your life, what Jesus does here is not only unheard of, but, but it is a risky business to, to reach out and to touch this, put him in danger of being unclean. You know, normally when you touched a dead body, you had to go through all kind of rituals, even, even the thing that he laid on. You had to go through rituals and purification. You had to go through all of these things to make yourself clean again. But notice here, it's not Jesus who is contaminated by death, is it? For anyone else, they would have been unclean, but Jesus instead, he, he speaks a word in 14, in the second part of 14. He says, young man, I say to you, arise. And in that moment, death meets its match. Death meets the victor, right? The one who is the very author of life. He also has power over sin. He has power over death. And with a simple word, he is able to restore soul to body. He is able to make a dead man sit up and speak. What Christ has to offer this mourning widow is more than just compassion. As great as that is, he, has, he, he can give her her son. As he gives her son back, she realizes that what he has to offer is victory. And notice the reaction. I love the reaction of the people. The Jews, they get it wrong all the time, and they're going to get it wrong in the end. But here, they get it right. They worship. They say, God has visited his people. Now, I don't know if they, they, they didn't fully grasp what they were saying in that moment, but they were right. God had visited his people. They worshiped. Friends, how much more should we worship and adore him today? What they saw in that moment was just a portion of what you and I know to be true. This man was raised from the dead, but he was raised back to a body that was broken, that, that was still susceptible to sin, still susceptible to sickness, and still one day would die. But what Christ came to give was more than just the, the same old life. As Ben reminded us, what Christ came to give was life and to give it abundantly. And at the cross, he bore our sins. He bore the curse for us. And in that empty tomb, he, he broke the chains of death, winning a victory, not only for himself, but for all of us who are resting in him. So that now, whoever lives and believes in him shall never die. They will live forever. Yes, our bodies may go in the ground. Miss Edra's body went in the ground this week. We may be parted from our loved ones for a while, but friends, there is hope on the horizon. It's hope of Revelation 21, those words that we know so well. It says, Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And here it is, the compassion 
He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. On that day, all of those tears that have been collected, all of the pain that you have gone through, he's going to make it right. He is going to set it right. And that's not my words. That's his promise. He's coming to make all things new. Yes, there is misery in this life. Sometimes seemingly more than we can bear. But Christ, the compassionate, gracious Savior, he offers to bear the load for us. And even more than that, he gives us victory. Victory that lasts. Freedom that lasts. I want to close with just two passages. R.L. Dabney, he didn't end his letter there as he was writing about his son. He ended it in this way. He says, our parting is not for long. This spoiled and ruined body will be raised and all its ravished beauties more than repaired. Our little boy, we hope and trust, is now a ransomed spirit. This is a hope inexpressible and full of glory. As I stand by the little grave and think of the poor ruined clay within... That was a few days ago, a beautiful, uh, that was so beautiful, my heart bleeds. But as I ask, where is the soul whose beams gave that clay all its beauty and preciousness? A triumph. Has it not already begun with an infant voice the praises of my Savior? He is in Christ's heavenly house and under his guardian love. Now I feel as never before the blessedness of the redeeming grace and divine blood, which have ransomed my poor babe from all his sin and death, he inherited through me. And then last, 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider this great victory that Christ has won on our behalf, we, like those people in Jerusalem that day, on the, are in name, we fall down and we worship. Lord, our lives are full of pain. They're full of hardship. It's often it's overwhelming. But Lord, you are the compassionate God who sees our hurts, who sees our tears, who takes account of them all. And in Christ, you have promised us more than just comfort, though you give that freely. You've promised us victory so that now we can have hope. Father, I pray for each one here today. I don't know what what they may be going through. I don't know the pains that they came in here with. But Lord, give us that sure peace. Give us that sweet assurance. Help us to know that, that as we rest in Christ, whatever loved one has gone before us, whatever trial we may face, He is coming to make it all new. We're going to see our loved ones again, but more importantly, we're going to see Jesus. 
We thank you for that sweet victory. It's in his name we pray. Amen.